Hello and welcome to this month's episode of Accommodation Matters, where we talk about the things that matter in student accommodation. I'm Jenny Shaw, Higher Education External Engagement Director at Unite Students, and today we're talking about the cost of living and how that's affecting students and their parents and what this means in the context of student accommodation. And I've got with me today a fantastic panel of expert guests. I'm going to ask them each to introduce themselves. Lynn. Hi everyone, I'm Lynn Condell and until recently I worked as the manager in the money advice team at the Liverpool John Moores University. I'm now working with Black Bullion doing training for practitioners and also I chair one of the SLC stakeholder groups, so around vulnerable customers. Thanks, Lynn. Viv? Hi, uh, so I'm Vivi. I'm the founder of Black Bullion. We are a financial well-being company working with universities and colleges and employers across the country to help students to use their money in the best possible way for them. Brilliant. Thank you. And Michelle? Hi, I'm Michelle Etchells from Unite Students and I'm head of Corporate Shared Services. Brilliant. Thank you. Now, the sharp rise in the cost of living is affecting all of us at the moment, from increased food prices to growing utility bills. But in the higher education sector, affordability has been a talking point for years since we moved away from maintenance grants and there was a rise in the tuition fees. Now, the government response to the org review has brought this into focus with changes announced to the loan repayment terms, but surprisingly, no response to the recommendations about maintenance support. Vivi, can you paint us a picture of the current financial situation for students? Thanks, Jenny. And thanks for mentioning maintenance, because actually the government isn't focusing on maintenance at all and rather talking a lot about the student loan itself. So students are struggling. There's no kind of nice way to, to put it. Students are struggling. And some of the statistics that we're seeing shows that some of the numbers that we saw during COVID, in the height of COVID, the number of students that were worried about their money has actually remained static even post the COVID situation. So they feel they don't have enough money to do what they need to do. And often the maintenance loan doesn't even cover kind of the basics of their spending. That, of course, is then impacting on their mental health. Almost 60% of students say that money impacts on their mental health, their ability to focus, their ability to look after their health, and their ability to achieve their grades. So we are very concerned about the impact of money concerns as the cost of living increases. Thanks, Viv. And we've just shared the results from a student survey on this topic. Michelle, could you talk us through some of the findings of that survey? Thanks, Jen. Yes. So we, we surveyed a thousand parents and a thousand students, and there were some really interesting results. So there's three key areas I'd like to highlight from the survey. Firstly, the cost of living crisis affecting most students and their parents. So two thirds of students and nearly three quarters, so 73% of parents are extremely worried about the increased cost of living. This is leading to students taking on more part-time work to make ends meet but the majority worry that they will affect their studies. So nearly half, so 49% of students actually work part-time. Among those that do work part-time, the majority, so 64%, work seven hours or more per week. And over half, so 61%, are concerned about the impact a part-time job could have on their studies. And almost a third of those who work have to increase the hours they worked in order to stay financially afloat. So leading on from the first two points, there's also concerning levels of impact on student welfare and knock-on implications of university support services, with half the students say financial issues are actually affecting their mental health. Thanks, Michelle. There's a, a lot to go on there and, and some similarities as well with what Vivi has shared. Lynn, does this resonate with what student finance teams are seeing down the country? 
Yeah, it certainly does. And the, the statistics, while shocking and, and not surprising to student finance practitioners, I mean, I think it just reiterates the decline in students' financial position, which started well before the pandemic. The difference is that during the pandemic, universities got a loss of extra money from the government to support students. And now they haven't got that money. So I suppose this just compounds the situation even more. So just as a follow up to that, um, you talked about the decrease in funding compared to during the pandemic. Is that having uh, an impact on universities' abilities to provide services such as hardship funds and, and other support to students? I would say not at all. So while the additional COVID money might not be there uh, from the government, universities do have funds and they do have teams of staff that can support students. So really can't stress strongly enough if the students are having any worries at all, they need to seek help. I mean, money certainly, as we know, is still probably that last taboo. People feel a sense of shame and they worry about talking to someone about money. They think that they're going to be criticised for their poor spending or their poor money habits. So that's not the case at all. So universities have wellbeing teams and sometimes just talking about your situation helps, doesn't it? So I genuinely cannot stress enough if students are concerned about anything, then they need to go and get advice. For example, you know, we're talking about parents. If your parents have had a change in circumstances, it could well be you can get your student finance reassessed. So mm. really, the, the underlying message is there is help available and it's free and confidential and students do need to go and talk to someone. I think that's a really important message, Lynn, and an important one for accommodation teams as well, because you know, often in accommodation, the person at the front desk or your cleaner can become someone that you trust and there's a a real role there to be able to say, well, look, it's okay, go and talk to someone, there is help there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm going to ask this next question to both Lynn and Vivi, because I know you both have your finger on the pulse of this, but are there groups of students that are particularly vulnerable to these changes? And Vivi, can I start with you? Um, Sure. Uh, Interestingly, the group that we are kind of concerned about is actually female students. A survey that we put out earlier in the year shows that really female students in particular have less money than the average male student does. The reported gap between how much they have and how much they need is actually significantly higher for female students than it is for male students, which is really interesting and something that we're, we're very much hoping to be digging in a little bit more, especially as we do see the cost of living start to hit and see what happens. So female students are more likely to get money from their parents and guardians, but it's less money than male students tend to get. They're less likely to engage in like entrepreneurship and things like that in order to bring more money in. And they will suffer a lot more, or at least they are reporting to be suffering a lot more with their mental health, with their ability to focus, with their sleep, with their relationships. So we're actually just worried that female students seem to be having a slightly harder go of it when it comes to money on campus, which is uh, counterintuitive somewhat. It is. Yeah, definitely. I, I wouldn't have predicted that. And, and Lynn, is that similar to what you're seeing? I think um, from the the government response to Orga, there are a couple of really important things to highlight. The first thing is that most of the changes that they talk about do not impact on existing students. So what we don't want is students that are currently at university to start thinking, oh, the terms of their loans are changing and panicking about it. They've got enough to think about at the moment with making ends meet, etc. So I think that's the first thing to think about. 
The changes for the new borrowers, unfortunately, mean that everyone is going to pay back more and for longer. So there aren't really any winners, if we're going to be brutally honest about it. One of the good things that we can pick out is that the interest rate. So for, for new borrowers from 23 is that they'll only be charged, um, not be charged interest in real terms. It will just be linked to the retail price index. I think the people that will benefit are those higher earners in the long term, isn't it? So the people that are going to leave university and go into those highly paid professions, you know, medicine, vets, etc., they're just going to pay back their loans as they would have done under, under these other terms. It's going to be those low to middle earners, probably a lot of female type jobs without stereotyping. As you said, Vivian, their salaries, often public sector jobs, will be capped. So they've got no choice. They can't shop around for a better salary if you're going into healthcare or teaching. So ultimately, they're going to pay back more and for longer. And I suppose if we're thinking about who's going to be most adversely affected is that the people that choose to not go to university. You know, people will choose to not go to university because of the negative publicity around these changes. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. Some really important points there about the the impacts of the changes to the loan terms. We, we're going to drill in a little bit more to the cost of living changes that we're starting to see at the moment. And Michelle, I wondered if you're seeing any trends across the country in terms of student financial behaviours or the queries that come through to your finance support team. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Yeah, there's definitely an increase in financial related queries from our students um, with a large amount relating to how and when they can pay their rent. So many students do not realise that their maintenance loans are paid in actually three equal instalments. So generally loans are paid in September, January and April, but it can vary based on the university they're at and the course they're studying. So many students also expect their loan to be paid direct to the accommodation provider, but this isn't the case. And students need to be mindful of this when budgeting. So at Unite, we offer the ability to align maintenance loans with rent payments to ease the debt worry for students, which is a key focus of ours. So In the recent survey, actually, 36% of students are not comfortable being in debt and speaking to your accommodation provider can really help to reduce any fears. Yeah, and again, I think that's a really important point, isn't it, that actually a message for students is is if you are getting into trouble in terms of your rent payments, just speak to someone. So one of the features that most purpose-built accommodation offers is rent inclusive of utility bills. Now, that's been contentious in the past because, you know, perhaps it encourages overuse of utilities. Perhaps it doesn't teach students how to manage their bills. But now, suddenly, it's quite a benefit, isn't it? And Lynn, I wondered if you're able to comment on this because there's going to be quite a difference, isn't there, between students who have got an all-inclusive rent package and those who are paying their utility bills separately. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the many benefits to living in purpose-built accommodation is the security of everything being included. You know, there's no hidden surprises, which you might get if you are house sharing or or living in private rented accommodation. And I think never has this been more welcome at the moment because all householders, I mean, us included, we're all getting surprises every day about the cost of things going up. Some of the HMOs, so houses of multiple occupation, you know, the, the house share, the traditional house share, do have utility bills included too. So while this is going to be a massive issue going forward, it's not student specific, is it? After all, we're only really just starting to see this trickling through. And I think for students, the message has got to be, if you're not sure what's included in your tenancy, so if you're not living in a purpose-built student accommodation, 
then check your tenancy agreement now because what you don't want is to get to the summer and your landlord present you with a, a huge utility bill that you were not expecting. If you can't find the tenancy, which is often the response you will get from students that don't know where my tenancy is, then ask for a copy. Your landlord does need to provide you with a copy. And I think we need to remember that not all students live in HMOs and they don't all live in purpose-built accommodation. And these will be impacted on already, won't they? So mature students with their own homes. Those living with their parents, you know, the, the research that we're talking about today talks about the financial pressures on parents. And we have to remember, because of the way the student finance system works in England particularly, income of parents really does have a massive impact on how much students earn, which is crazy, isn't it? I think what we need to say to students who are in their own homes or are feeling financial pressures, it's going back to that earlier message, is that there is help available. If you're in your own home and you're having problems with your utility bills, speak to your utility provider. Lots of them have charities. Speak to your institution. A lot of them will have hardship funds. Yeah, and there's a, a very clear message throughout all of this, isn't there, which is if you do get into trouble or you see trouble ahead, do talk to someone about it. And, you know, if you're, if you're running accommodation, do encourage students to go and talk to someone. And uh, one of the things that really stood out for me, actually, in the survey that we've just done is the breakdown of communication in some cases between parents and students. So fear about worrying their parents and hiding debt from parents and worry about the impact it's going to have on families. Um, I don't know if anyone wanted to comment on that. It was actually quite interesting because I noticed that in the survey as well. There was like 29% of people were actually, or students, were hiding the debt from their friends and family. And then 27% of parents were actually aware that their child was hiding debt. So I think it's actually aligned. And if they could only talk to each other, I think it would be a different story completely. Yeah. And it, again, there's a message there for parents, isn't there? Just to open up those channel of communications, address any fears that students might have. A lot of young people that I work with did assume that their parents would help them and it did cause uh, issues in the family. So again, it, it's going back to money being that final taboo, isn't it, that you need to talk. And if, if you can't afford to help your children with money, then, then just be open and honest about it because ultimately we're all adults and it's much easier to budget if you know what money you are going to receive rather than get a surprise later down the line. I would, I would concur with that completely. And I think something that we need to kind of just as a society in general, we're never going to demystify money. Money is an incredibly intimate thing. People feel very strongly about it. They feel very passionately about it. But we need to give people the language to be able to approach it. I think it's one of the most important roles that parents have in raising their young people is encouraging the financial conversation. And the younger you start, the easier it is. Because if you start having those conversations when kids are little and you give them pocket money and you talk about what pocket money is, then when you start to talk about budgeting when your young person is a teenager, it's not a new conversation. You've been yeah. having the conversation for years. You're just now starting to shift the language. And something that, that we've seen is that people, young people, are scared to ask their parents because they know their parents are under financial pressure or it's the exact opposite where they assume the parents are fine and will support them. Either way, that is simple miscommunication. We just need to give people, we need to give their parents the language to have the conversation and start talking about money much earlier than when it's needed. Because having conversations under crisis conditions always makes for much more tense conversations. So if it's just part of your day to day, it doesn't have that same burden as when suddenly you're about to run out of money and you're too embarrassed to say anything. And that's actually when crises happen. That's, that's really good advice. And it's interesting you should say that, Vivi, because I was going to ask you about whether this current quite rapid rise in cost of living is, is throwing up the need for 
any additional skills. I know you're, you're very passionate about giving people financial skills. Are there new skills that people need in this quite rapidly changing situation that we're in at the moment? Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed by this subject, as, I, as Lynn will tell you. Uh, look, I, I think it's an interesting question because I don't know if it's new skills as much as old skills that people have forgotten. So, you know, we need to talk about budgeting. We need to talk about risk behavior, especially with the onset of things like cryptocurrency and NFTs and gambling and trading and things like that. So these are all what I refer to as like your grandmother's financial education. It's debt, it's budgeting, it's understanding risk. It's learning how to cook. If you learn how to cook, you can help all sorts of problems. You'll sleep better. You'll make friends. You know, there's all of these kind of old fashioned, let's call them retro money. And let's get back into having those conversations. I am, however, concerned about um, tech enabled convenience, which I think is getting a lot of students into trouble. So, you know, ordering a Deliveroo instead of cooking a meal, getting an Uber instead of getting on a bus. We were lucky, everyone on this call who's over 22, we didn't have these things at university. So, you didn't have an easy ability to get into catastrophic debt because you didn't have access to credit in the same way. You didn't have access to leverage in the same way. So actually, to your question, Jenny, we're talking about very old school money management, but facing a very new world. And this cost of living, we're only at the beginning of it. I'm, I'm an economist by trade. This is the start. This isn't the end. But this is also nothing new. In 2008, we had 6% interest rates. This has been a historically low period of rates, which most young people haven't lived through anything different, but this is actually an unusual period. So we need to start talking about this for the long term. This isn't a six month thing. This is likely to be with us for the next few years. Yes. And as you say, it, it's old news in a way and uh, a, a familiar situation, but in quite a different world. And you mentioned cryptocurrency, but uh, that was a, one of the standout findings of the survey as well for me that a surprising proportion of students said they had dabbled in cryptocurrency. They'd looked at gambling, they'd looked at the stock market, all these different ways of making money that I think probably would come under that heading of risky behavior. Did you have any comment on that? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, I contributed a, a piece recently to one of the very well-known education publications. And when we stated the statistics of the number of students using cryptocurrency, the editor sent it back to me and told me to fact check it because it's something like one in three students, right? Like it's high. What I think is particularly interesting and, and crypto isn't going anywhere. Again, something we all just need to acknowledge. Cryptocurrency is here and is going to be here certainly until long after we're all gone. There is a very interesting uh, gender differential in crypto. So 7% of women are trading in crypto, but 26% of guys. So it's almost four times as many men who are engaging in this incredibly risky, incredibly volatile, kind of behavior, but that they see it as one of the only ways to make money. And that's part of, again, a much broader issue. But crypto is here to stay. And it is a challenge for student services and for money advisors for whom this is brand new stuff. So we have to get on top of this as a, as a community. Yeah, and Michelle, I think you've got the figures there for students specifically from, from our recent survey, haven't you, in terms of cryptocurrency? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting, Jenny, actually. So um, from our survey, 10% of people are actually dabbling in a cryptocurrency. Uh, and of course, the cost of living rises are having an impact on people who run student accommodation too. The increasing cost of utilities are going to be biting, but also the need to support employees. Michelle, can you comment on this from a Unite perspective? Yeah, no problem. So at Unite, we are committed to supporting both our customers and employees through these difficult times. 
We're really proud to be a living wage employer and have been since 2015. And for our customers, we're not passing on any additional charges for cost of living increases in this academic year or in next academic year, so 22-23. It's really interesting, actually, because in the recent survey, 80% of students chose accommodation where bills were included and there were no additional costs. So when a student signs up for a contract with us, that's the price they will pay. And we want to ensure that a student living experience is as stress-free as possible by reducing debt worries where we can. Yeah, and, uh, you know, particularly that impact on staff. I think we've just recently given a, a slight pay rise as well to living wage employees. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. So yeah. um, as part of the Living Wage Foundation every year, we increase it in line with that to make sure that we, we are a living wage foundation employer. Yeah, uh, because, you know, this is this is biting for everyone at the moment, isn't it? Lynn, what impact is this having on universities? Obviously, universities are not exempt from, you know, the cost of heating, staff costs, pension increases, and the freezing of the tuition fees for at least the next two years. It's obviously going to have a squeeze on, on what's going on in universities. One of the other announcements is around student number control. So again, that is going to be a concern for a lot of universities. So there's tough times ahead for all of us, I think. Yeah, no, it certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Just going to move on now to talk about part-time work because uh, this is something that's come up in our new survey as well. We first saw it last year. We did an applicant survey and uh, about half of those who responded uh, said that they were interested in taking up part-time work and it looks like it's just over half that are working part-time at the moment in our most recent survey and some of them have said they've taken on extra hours. And Vivian, I don't know if you're able to comment on that. Is it the case that students are looking to take on more part-time work at the moment or those maybe who wouldn't have worked before are looking to work? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question having just come out of a, a pandemic where nobody could work. So it's it's not a surprise that a lot of people are now looking for work. I think we also need to acknowledge that students come in all shapes and sizes and a lot of students work full-time and are studying part-time or, or part-time and part-time. I'm not against students working while they study. I think that there are huge and massive benefits to getting some real world experience. The problem is when the hours that are spent earning a few pounds interfere with your ability to earn a good salary at graduation. So there does need to be a balance. But in general, I am very pro young people working, especially because the current corporate workplace is saying that a lot of young people are not fit for full-time employment because they lack the necessary employability skills. So actually encouraging young people to get jobs that do not interfere with their studies is actually both great for their money, but also great for their long-term employment prospects. So we are seeing a lot more students going after part-time and casual and, and sort of summertime work. And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing if it's managed well from an hours perspective. So yeah, not necessarily a bad thing if students are working. There's some real positives to that. But I know there was some concern within our survey uh, among students and their parents, actually, about the impact that that might have on their ability to study. And, and Lynn, does it ever become too much for them? Well, working while you study isn't necessarily a bad thing. You All those transferable skills, as we've said, making other friendship groups is, is also a great way to settle into a new place. You know, so we shouldn't think that working while you study is all negative. It's actually in the main very positive. And some students will have work that actually complements what they're studying, you know. So I think you need to look on a case by case basis. 
I think the main thing is for students to make sure it's a, a real job, you know, that you're not being scammed because that is certainly something that you see, you know, pay for this training and there's a job at the end of it. And we've read lots of those stories during the lockdown. So make sure it's a real job. Utilise the career service or your student job shop in your institution. Often those jobs fit around the, the studies. You know, lots of benefits to working. It's just making sure that you have a balanced outlook because you do need some downtime. We all need a bit of downtime, don't we? Yeah, thanks, Lynn. So there's a lot there about the context rather than just the numbers and how that work complements what you do already. And uh, also that caution about, you know, make sure it's a real job, which I think is really well made. And of course, within the student accommodation sector, a lot of students do get employment as res life ambassadors or, uh, you know, similar. So uh, that's, I think, again, that's one way that accommodation providers can really help. Now, I'm going to go around to each of you and just ask if there was anything else in the Unite survey that really jumped out to you. Yeah, the, the interesting thing was for me, I mean, we talked about it earlier around the budgeting side of it. And I was actually quite surprised the number of students that aren't actually actively budgeting. I would recommend signing up for a, a budget type app, something free that to be able to, to manage your money. Another thing as well is signing up for direct debit where possible so you can plan your expenses because that's a really good way of paying your bills and making sure that you can uh, settle all your bills. Thanks, Michelle. And Vivi? One of the things that I think is really interesting about the report and not surprising and a little bit gratifying and a little bit sad is the number of people that are worried about the cost of living. So on the one hand, I'm kind of glad that people are concerned about it because it is something that has been building for a while. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't act until there is a crisis. We're not quite there yet. So there is time for people to perhaps make some small changes that are necessary in kind of their day to day. The thing that makes me sad is how many young people are nervous about speaking to their parents. Um, and I think that just makes me sad just as a daughter. I have an arrangement with my parents that anything more than a paper cut is reported. It, it really is a case of a problem shared is a problem solved. And if you ask for help, there'll be somebody that can support you. So I really would encourage anyone of any age in any part of their life, if you're struggling with something, reach out. I mean, drop a direct message to someone like, just don't fight things yourself because uh, there really is a lot of help and support out there from accommodation to the university to individuals. Like, Just always ask for help or ask for support because there's an awful lot of it out there. I would agree with that from a Unite perspective as well. Come and talk to us. If you've got problems with the debt or you can't manage your finances, just come and talk to us. We're a friendly face. That's some really good advice there. And I think there are a few students for whom talking to their parents isn't an option. I think we recognise that. And, and I think the advice there is do find someone you can trust and go and talk to them. And if that's your university or your accommodation provider or just a, a friend or other family, then do that. I haven't been surprised by the research, but really glad that you've done some research with parents as well as the students, because actually it's this type of research that will open up the discussions between young people and their families. And remember that there are lots of staff out there that you can go and talk to, whether that be in United Accommodation, whether that be in the institution. Don't think you've got to manage on your own because you really haven't got to. Thanks very much, Lynn. And we're out of time, but thank you so much to Vivi, Lynn and Michelle for your time. Great discussion, uh, really brilliant insight from you there. Thank you. And thank you to you for joining us, whether you're a regular listener or you're new to the podcast. You're very welcome. And don't forget to follow us on your favourite streaming platform so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow Unite Students on LinkedIn for all our latest higher education insights. 
Darren will be back again in the chair next month with a brand new episode. So we look forward to seeing you then.